And I'm going to have you take your Bible. We're going to look at three different passages this morning. Um, Starting in Ephesians chapter 3. If you'll turn to Ephesians chapter 3. And um, there's a statement that appears in our Bible. Exactly four word statement. Only three times. Now I try to be very contextual. I don't typically preach topical messages Um, I try to make certain that what I preach is true to the context of Scripture because if you take it out of context, you can make it say anything you want to. And uh, we have a lot of people doing that today. And so I try to uh, stay in context. And so we'll look at just a little bit of some verses around this um, momentarily. But, you know, um, you'll forgive me. Every once in a while, I like to... um, get you to smile a little bit before I start preaching because I don't know if you'll smile when I'm preaching or not. So, um, and so, I, uh, I, you know, I pastored in West Virginia for a few years. We had a camp. We were back in the holler. You, 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 didn't, you didn't just drive past our church and say, oh, we saw your church and stopped it. No, you had to go three miles back into the holler to find us. They even had to pay for the sun to be piped in every once in a while. And, um, and so, um, this is a little... Um, a joke about you know living in the hollers, but John hadn't seen his grandfather for a little while, and uh, I understand that. You know, this is Elizabeth. That's our one of our granddaughters, and um, Libby is somewhere. I think she's back in class or something, and um, and so and one of them, um, third the third family walked down the aisle yesterday and got married. So um, it was sobering thought to realize we have 15 grandchildren, but 10 of them are 16 and older. That's, that's sobering. Um, and then I'm the oldest living Decker in our family. I'm the senior citizen of the whole crew. That's sobering too. <clears throat> yeah. So anyway, so John hadn't seen his grandfather in quite a while, so he drives in the holler there, West Virginia, and he goes to see his grandfather, and, and um, he gets there just before supper, and so Grandpa decides he's going to grill out some hamburgers, so they grill some hamburgers, and he sticks that hamburger on the plate. And while he's eating his hamburger and eating some, some fries off that plate, he says, Grandpa, is this, uh, is this plate clean? He said, Son, it's clean as cold water can get them. Just eat your food. Hush up. It's okay. It's clean as cold water can get them. So... Um, they, they spend the evening together. They talk and have a great time. He goes to bed. They get up the next morning. Grandpa early getting up, so he's got bacon and eggs and toast and all that. And they sit down, and um, he looks at his plate, and, and it doesn't look the cleanest again. And he said, Grandpa, is this a clean plate? He said, Son, eat your breakfast. I told you. Them plates as clean as cold water can get them. Now hush up and eat your breakfast. So he eats his breakfast and then um, they, they, they spend the morning together and he takes them out, shows him some of the stuff around the holler and they come back and he fixes some lunch and he sits down for lunch and he notices there's some dried egg on the edge of the plate. And he said, Grandpa, I'm telling you, this plate is not clean. That, there, there's some. He said, son, I told you, them plates as clean as cold water can get them. Now you hush and you eat. So 
you know, hadn't seen Grandpa in a little while. I don't know how mean he can get. And so he eats his sandwich. And um, later on that afternoon, he decides he needs to go into town and get some things. So he heads to his car, and the dog gets between him and his car and won't let him get to the car. I mean, he's got his hair up and his teeth showing and growling. And he hollers and says, Grandpa, call your dog so I can get to my car. I got to go to town. He says, cold water, go lay down, boy. <laughs> and so, anyway. Y'all understand how that goes, right? Okay. Ephesians chapter 3. Um, Brother Schmidt was talking about Israel, and there is errant teaching today, both of replacement theology that the church has replaced Israel and God has cast Israel away never to be dealt with again. That is unbiblical teaching. That is not what the Bible teaches. There's also uh, teaching um, that basically um, um, makes the, the church age all that it's about. And the truth is, and, and those who are teaching even um, mid-tribulation rapture or pre-wrath rapture, that um, uh, the tribulation is, is about God testing and trying uh, his, all of his people. And the truth is that the tribulation period is the time of Jacob's trouble. That's the nation of Israel. And God's focus in that seven years is back on the nation of Israel. And those of us who are saved will be caught up and already out of here. Uh, there's not going to be a rupture. There is going to be a rapture. And um, uh, somebody says, well, that word's not even in our Bible. No, but the very definition of that is a snatching away, and there is going to be a snatching away, and First Thessalonians makes that clear. But in Ephesians chapter 3, of course, um, uh, chapter 1, he, he deals with the predetermination of God, and that has nothing to do with God predetermining some people for heaven and some people for hell. God predestined that all who would trust and place their faith in Jesus Christ would have an eternal home in heaven one day. And uh, God makes that gift available to all. Uh, will everyone accept that gift? No. But it's uh, Christ died for all. He's the Savior of all men, especially of them that believed. Jesus' sacrifice was paid for every man but only those who personally accept that gift of salvation will have their sins forgiven and a home in heaven. Chapter 2, he makes that clear. He starts off, and you who were dead in trespasses and sin, you had the quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. All of us were the same condition because of Adam's disobedience to God in the garden. Death passed upon all men, and for that all have sinned. And Every one of us, if you're here this morning, you're saved. It's because you came to a point in your life when you realized that you were a sinner, lost, and on your way to an eternal hell, realized that Jesus Christ went to that cross as your substitute, died in your place, and you placed your faith and trust in him. If you've not done that, you're not saved and you're not going to heaven. The truth is salvation is not in the church. It is not in religion. It is not in keeping a, a set of, of rules or, or whatever. That's not salvation. Salvation is a gift. He says in that um, chapter, chapter 2, that we're saved by grace. And he explains it even further in verse 8 and 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, 
not of works, lest any man should boast. God knew this much about us since he made us, that if we got to heaven and it was because of something we did, we'd be walking around heaven bragging on us instead of on the one who paid it all. No flesh, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, will glory in his presence. The truth is, when we get to heaven, it's not going to be about me. It's going to be about him. And so he makes that clear in the second chapter. But the, many of the Jewish people, and you see that with the Judaizers, and the book of Galatians is written to deal with that issue, and others, and you have in Acts chapter 15, even the issue of the New Testament church of Jerusalem having to, to settle this matter of can Gentile believers, can Gentiles actually be believers, be saved without keeping the Jewish laws? And of course, James, who is the pastor of the church at that time, says, my sentence is this. We're not, look, you can, you, we as Jews couldn't even keep all the law. How do we expect Gentiles to do that? But you see, many of them just didn't believe anyone would go to heaven except Jews. And the third chapter of Ephesians is laying the foundation so that the New Testament church understands this church at Ephesus and churches out from there, the church at Laodicea. This letter will be read to the church at Laodicea and others that, that the gospel is open to all, Jew and Gentile alike, and we're all going to be in one family when we get to heaven called the family of God. And he addresses that. It's called the mystery of Christ in verse 4. Um, he said, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. And a mystery is something that was simply hidden in the Old Testament that becomes clear or revealed in the new. Someone aptly said, the new is in the old concealed, the old is in the new revealed. There are many types and pictures throughout the Old Testament that clearly point to the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he would do. In this church age, the Jews only saw the mountaintops, the mountain peaks. They didn't see the valleys of the church age and other things in which we live. This is the time of the Gentiles. And until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled, God's work on this earth is not done and he hasn't turned his attention back to the nation of Israel as a whole, but he will do that as um, Brother Schmidt was even talking, referring to this morning from the book of Zechariah. But in this uh, passage here, he goes on and says this, he said in verse 5, that it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. So he's making it clear, Jew and Gentile, we're going to be a part of that same body, that same um, fellowship in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8 is where I want you to focus with me for the next few moments. He says this, Unto me who am least, less than the least of all saints is this grace given. What grace, Paul? That I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places, that's both uh, angelic beings and fallen angels, that both all in the spirit world would understand this truth. They might be known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose 
which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore, I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. I've even been hearing this kind of statement, even among some of our fundamental brethren, that there's no such thing about having Jesus Christ, inviting Jesus Christ into your heart. Really? It just said here that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Now, I understand he dwells in us through the person of his spirit, but may I say that is the spirit of Christ dwelling in us. And he dwells in us and he strengthens that inner man that came to life when you got saved. That's what being born again is. And he said that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able, catch the next few statements, that ye may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. And even the apostle Paul had to say, Amen. Back in verse 19, he said this, And to know the love of Christ. That four-word statement, the love of Christ, is only found in our Bible three times. Now, that, even though that exact phrase is only found three times, this entire book is soaked, saturated, and streams flow from its pages with that truth. Probably the most familiar verse in all the Bible is John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But that statement, the love of Christ, just three times. But I would say this. I believe that those three passages communicate to us three primary principles, truths that God wants us to understand and three proper priorities for our, for our life and preeminent purposes that God has for each of us to focus. And so I will draw your attention to them for the next few moments. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the morning. We ask your blessings now upon this time. Pray that you'd add, Lord, um, your um, blessing and work to the reading of your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and guide into truth this morning. Help us to see and understand a little bit more of the length and depth and breadth and height of this amazing love of Christ. And so I pray you'd help us. Lord, you know every one of us. You know our needs. You know the burdens, the battles, the struggles, the heartaches that we bear this morning you know if there's someone here that doesn't know you as personal savior lord that needs to come to that place to this morning do business with you in a very real and personal way i pray for every saved person that you'd help us to realize lord we have no greater or stronger uh, pull or push on our heart and life than this very truth and so i pray you'd help us now in jesus name amen in Ephesians chapter 3, he says, I want you to understand the breadth 
the length, the depth, the height, whatever direction you go, you can't go anywhere. You're not going to find and be exposed and be and encounter the love of Christ. And I want you to understand that more, that the, it's the love of Christ that you would know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, which means none of us have the ability to fully comprehend that truth. The truth is, no matter how much I think I've got it, this little peanut brain can't begin to grasp the amazing love of Christ. It passeth knowledge. But he does want us to understand more, and he wants us to understand the fullness of God that is wrapped up in that statement. This first statement, I believe, with all my heart, when he, because he's talking about the fact that Jew and Gentile are going to be a part of this same family. We're joint heirs. We're heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And we're heirs together of the grace of God. He's simply saying this, that salvation comes to every single person the very same way. doesn't matter your creed, doesn't matter your color, doesn't matter your nationality, doesn't matter your culture. You either come to God through Jesus Christ or you're not going to be there. Jesus made it clear in John chapter 14, did he not? As I believe he's just observed the last supper with his disciples and he's headed to the garden of Gethsemane. And his disciples are troubled by what he's said to them. And he says to them in John 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there, there ye may be also. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't, we don't know where you're going. We don't know how to get there. And he answered that in verse 6 when he said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Can I tell you? The only way anyone is going to be in heaven one day is through what Jesus Christ did for them on the cross of Calvary. You're either going to come through Jesus or you're not going to get there. Matter of fact, in John chapter 10, you referred to the shepherd. Jesus said that not only is he the great shepherd of the sheep, but he's the door. And if you don't come through that door, you're not getting in. And if you don't come through that door, you're not one of his sheep. He did say later in that 10th chapter, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. And so our message, I believe that, that this first passage simply helps us to understand that Christ, the love of Christ, is our message of an all-sufficient Savior. You remember when he said in the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He didn't say, um, there's nothing, there's nothing I, I, I um, want that he won't provide. He said, you know what? The Lord's my shepherd and everything that I need, he's taking care of so I don't have want. Now all of us, unfortunately, we tend to, tend to be a little more wanting than, than we need to be. Want that and want that. Christmas is coming up. Any of you have kids or grandkids going to make Christmas lists? I want this and I want... I, I asked kids, I taught Rock of Ages character in the construction in public school for 12 years. And so when we'd get into November, I'd say, uh, how many of you already have your Christmas list, list together? And all them kids' hands would go up. 
And I'd say, and how many of you already made up your mind if you don't get what you want, you're going to throw a hissy fit, throw yourself on the ground, stomp and cry. And, what, and there'd always be two or three of them say, yep, that's me. You know, why? Can I tell you, because we really do live in a selfish society. We're a me-oriented generation. But can I tell you, if it comes to salvation and it's all about you, you're in trouble. Because salvation is not about you, it's about him. And so I, I have somebody said to me just recently, well, I'm a spiritual person and I believe my own way. Well, I don't know what spirit she was talking about, but it wasn't the spirit of God. And the truth is you can believe whatever you want to, but just because you believe, can I tell you, there are people who don't believe in heaven. Guess what? There is one. And there are people who don't believe in hell. But without Jesus Christ, a moment after they've taken their last breath here, they'll find out it really is a real place. Why? Because God's word is true. And he makes it clear. And he says, I want you to understand that we have this message to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. Our message to this world is that we have a sufficient Savior. Where do you find that? You find that in the pages of this book. By the way, why do you think Satan attacks this book so much? By the way, um, I use the King James Bible because I don't think you have to fix what ain't broke. Never has been broken. And you don't have to repair. And we could go into all the reasons behind that. I know your pastor did that recently for months. And, um, and so I'm not going to go there uh, this morning. But the truth is, if I believe that God was able and capable to give his word, but incapable of, of preserving it so that I have a copy, I have a pretty weak God. And he said that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I do not believe in contextual, or uh, um, what they call it, uh, uh, um, uh, emendation. There's um, uh, one of the big professors at a so-called Bible college um, he, he believes that God inspired the thoughts, not the words. But Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I believe I have an every word Bible. I think every word in this book is, is important. So when you have Bibles that leave out whole verses and, and change words, you got a real problem. And an issue because there's two streams and, and we could go on and on and on. But like I said, you already had that. But I believe this book, and because of that, I believe we have a message, but you've got to get in this book. You know, 2 Timothy 2.15 reminds us, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Jesus said this in John 17.17, 17, the true actual Lord's prayer, his high priestly prayer. He said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The truth is this morning, truth does not change. Truth is not variable. Truth is not altered, uh, altered by what our society says. Culture may reject truth. They can't change truth. Truth is if you get on top of this building and jump off, you are going to fall. Some might say, well, I just don't believe it. Well, when you pick them up off the ground with a couple of busted legs, they might change their mind. The truth is, there are laws that God put in into being in this, nat in this, this universe and our, our natural laws and all of that. But can I tell you, those are just truths. And you can deny those truths. It won't change them. 
And you can deny the truth of God's word, but the truth is it doesn't change it. And we need to get in this book. I'm amazed at the number of people who have been saved for years who have never read through this, in book, this entire book one time. I'm amazed at the number of people who, who read and read and read, but they read everything except an eternal book about an eternal God who cares about us. You say, yeah, but there's some hard passages in there. You know what? Even the Apostle Peter said that. In 2 Peter chapter 3, he's talking about some of the things the Apostle Paul wrote. He said, of which some things are hard to be understood. I guess if the Apostle Peter talking about some of the things that Paul wrote being hard to understand, it's okay if you have a little bit of difficulty understanding everything. The truth is, you said you started today 55 years in the ministry. I'm about to hit 44 years in the ministry. The truth is, and neither one of us have it all figured out yet. When I get to heaven, I'll get it all figured out. If I got a question I hadn't got figured out, I can ask him when I get there. But the truth is, you won't learn about it unless you get there. The Bible says in John chapter 20, um, and I, I love the passage, but in John chapter 20, uh, he says this, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Can I tell you, this book is all about him from Genesis 1-1 all the way through from the Proto-Evangelium in Genesis 3-15, the promise of the, the, the coming Messiah all the, from the time that man sinned. God already had a plan. 1 Peter chapter 1 makes it clear that, that Jesus Christ was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Why? Because God in his infinite wisdom was going to make a free-willed creature, but he knew because he gave that man a creature, he would at some point make the wrong choice, and he'd exercise his will that would bring sin in. But God already made plan for that. That's why years ago there was a song that was really popular, and, and, um, and I t I've told folks, don't, don't sing that song around me. He said, God searched through heaven and found the Savior. No, he didn't. God didn't go searching for a Savior. Jesus always was the Son of God and the Savior of mankind. God didn't have to go searching and asking for volunteers. God knew what he was going to do. He was already the planned Savior. Be careful. Don't build your doctrine around um, songs, particularly modern ones. You better make sure you get in this book and make sure it's true here. <clears throat> Lots of things we can stay there, but I, I, I don't want to be as long as your pastor usually is. <clears throat> Acts 4.12 says this, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The love of Christ is the message in Hebrews chapter 12 that does follow Hebrews chapter 11. Little math, you know, 11. Anyway. But Hebrews 11, the roll call of faith. The hall of faith. But in chapter 12, he starts off, Wherefore also seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. How can I run that race? Verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied 
and faint in your minds. He said, let me just tell you, there's this great cloud of witnesses, but why are they in that roll call of faith? Because they realized there was a message. Some preach of the coming Messiah. The truth is we preach of the, the Messiah who's coming again. This is our message. The love of Christ is our message. It is that message. And he said in that last part of that chapter, he said, he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we, I love that, exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. According to the power that worketh in us, what is the purpose? That unto him will be glory in the church. Why? Because it's all about him. The love of Christ is, is our message of an all-sufficient Savior. Take your Bible, look with me very quickly, if you would, to, well, you can turn slow if you want to, but 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we know several verses there. He begins talking about this earthly tabernacle that we dwell in, this body that we dwell in, and that one of these days we're going to lay this earthly tabernacle by. And we, in verse 2, he said, in this we groan earnestly, and the older we get, the more we groan, Right? I said it before, the older I get, now I don't do anything without sound effects. You know, I stand up and I groan. I, I, I first get up in the morning, it sounds like Rice Krispies, you know. My feet go, you know. And then I move and my knees pop and all that, you know. Um, I don't have to eat cereal, I am in the first thing in the morning, you know. But he said, we earnestly groan, desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. Someone said, don't you wish your son could have been here to walk his own daughter down the aisle? And I said, yeah, I, I wish he could have been, but since he's not, I didn't wish him back. Why would we wish someone back here? By the way, why do we say, oh, it's so terrible. Please pray that they, they won't... Um, pass away. Can I tell you, there comes a time that maybe the, the most gracious thing we can do is pray that the Lord would take them on. Because the truth is they'll be out of this body groaning and aching and I'm so sad they're in heaven. Now look, if they're lost, I understand. Your, your, your aunt went to heaven on Wednesday. Well, you know, do we grieve? Yeah, but not as those which have no hope. By the way, she's not crying in heaven. By the way, uh, just, just be clear. There are tears in heaven. There will be until the great white throne judgment. At that point, God will wipe away all tears. If you and I think that we could stand and watch family and friends cast into an eternal lake of fire from the presence of a holy God because they didn't trust Christ as Savior and there be no tears we would be hard-hearted, cold individuals, incapable. But God will have to wipe away all tears and he'll even have to do a real cleansing of our minds because how could you and I enjoy eternity knowing that we have some family or friends burning in an eternal hell? But that day's coming. It's not yet. I think probably God himself is grieved when he looks at how some of his people live. Do you think when Jesus sees those that he bought and paid for by his own precious blood 
that live their life professing faith in him but live their life carelessly, you think that does not grieve our Savior? Just a thought. You can check that out some other time. But in this passage, he, he underst- we understand he said um, in verse 8, we're confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and be present with the Lord. Amen for that. Verse 10, he makes it clear, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. The judgment seat of Christ is not a, a judgment on sin. It is a judgment for the saved on service. All of us who are saved will stand at the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat. It is the place where God classifies everything that we've done from the moment we got saved till the day we, God calls us home or the rapture takes place in our service for Christ. And God, according to 1 Corinthians 3, classifies everything as gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, or stubble. Then he says that basically the fire of God's holiness will be applied to that and wood, hay, and stubble will burn. Only good gold, silver, precious stone will abide the fire. And, um, and so does it matter that we serve God? Can I say, yes, it does matter. When we stand before and we look in the face of the one who gave everything for us, do you really think that the, many of the excuses we yet li- give for why we don't serve God faithfully are going to hold any water when we look in the face of the one who didn't hold back anything for us? And he makes it clear here that we're going to stand there. And, and, and he says, verse 11, interesting verse, right after that judgment seat of Christ, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. We persuade man. He's writing to save people. He said, now think about this. When you're looking in the face of the one who gave everything for you, and you say, well, Lord, I would have served you more faithfully, but you know, I mean, after all, seriously? We persuade men, but are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. For sake of time, look at verse 14. He says, for the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. We were all dead in trespasses and sin, but one died for all, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said that the love of Christ constraineth us. Not only is the love of Christ our our message of an all-sufficient Savior, but the love of Christ, I believe, this morning is our motive of sacrificial service. What is the motive behind what we do? The love of Christ constrains us. The word constrain means to hold together, to arrest, to compel, or to preoccupy. It is the essential and constraining motive for all we do. Why do we do what we do? Because he loves me. Why do I serve him? Because he loves me. Why do I want my life to count for eternity? Because Jesus loves me. Unfortunately, we make Jesus loves me a kid's song. Can I tell you, according to the word of God, that's our very motive for everything we do. Why read this book? Because it's his love letter reminding me how much he loves me and the purpose and plan he has for my life and yours. Why do we come to the house of God? Can I tell you, because this is the pillar and ground of the truth, and it's his church, and he loves me, and so I'm involved in what he loves, and he loves his church. Read Ephesians chapter 5. 
Why do All right. Uh, sometimes the Bible says in Jude 22, and some have compassion making a difference. Others say with fear, hating the garment spotted by the flesh. Some people, the realization they're going to die and go to hell because of their sin is the thing that motivates them to come to Christ. But can I say this to you this morning? For some people, it's the realization that there really is a God who loves them. In spite of their failure, in spite of their sin, in spite of what they have done or haven't done, aren't you glad we can still sing, Jesus loves me, this I know? For the Bible tells me so. That's not a little kid's song. That's an everybody's song. And the love of Christ constrains us. You take up offerings. Why? So the work of God can go forward, so the gospel can go out, so missionaries can be supported. Why? Because Jesus loves me and he loves them and he wants people to know that. And it's the constraint. It it, it arrests me. I've got to serve him. Why? Because he loves me. Doesn't it say this in 1 John chapter 4? Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He goes on and says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. But later, a few verses later, he says this, We love him because he first loved us. It's the constraint. It's what puts the motive behind what we do. If you do what you do just to please Pastor Decker, you got the wrong motive. If you come to church just because, well, my name's always been on the church roll. That's just where I grew up my whole life. And you got the wrong motive. If, can I tell you, that's why some people are preaching and teaching today, you know, well, to, to say you're supposed to do this, and you're supposed to live this way, you know, that's just, that's just trying to pressure people into... No. Uh, the truth is, if you love him, according to 1 John chapter 3, his commandments are not grievous. It's not a burden to serve God. It's not, it's not a, 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 it's something unreasonable. Matter of fact, isn't that what Romans 12 says? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That's just reasonable. Why is it reasonable? Because he loves us. Have you ever sung it this way? I love Jesus. Does he know? Have I ever told him so? Jesus loves to hear me say that I love him every day. Yes, I love Jesus. Yes, I love Jesus. Yes, I love Jesus. In prayer, I tell him so. It's our constraint, our motive. Last passage, Romans chapter 8, and I'm done. Hopefully before you have gotten done. Romans chapter 8, my wife looks at the watch and says, hurry up, it's going to be longer than your son. In Romans chapter 8, this chapter starts with no condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ 
who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. In the last part of this chapter, he talks about the fact that there is no separation. Verse 33, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? The third time that statement's used. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not only is the love of Christ our, our message of an all-sufficient Savior, our motive for sacrificial service, but I would simply submit to you this morning that the love of Christ is the might that we have of our sustaining strength in the one who loved us. He said nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do we have troubles? Yeah. It rains on the just and the unjust. Save people, battle a tragedy just like unsaved people do. Saved people have to deal with health issues just like a lost world does. We go through burdens and problems and struggles. Matter of fact, Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5 talked about the, the, the things going on in the lives of our brethren, the same that's in the world. There is a difference, however, is there not? The world has to face all those things on their own. And we have a God who loves us. And so he assures us tribulation, distress, persecution, famineness, fa famine, whatever you want to wrap it all up in, whether they're spiritual issues, principalities and powers, uh, uh, things present, things to come. Some folks, they, 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 they dwell in the past and the thing, they just can't do anything today because they're dwelling in the past. But our God is greater than the past. And some dwell in the future, what they're going to do or what might happen. And they're so fearful of the future. But God said, look, don't let that stop you either. Not even what's going on right now. He's in control. Our God hasn't stepped down from the throne. He hasn't abdicated. He hasn't said, oh, that, has it ever occurred to you nothing ever occurred to God? I have been surprised by things in life. Nothing has ever surprised God. I have said at times, wasn't expecting that. But God has never said, wow, I wasn't expecting that. He's prepared. And so he said to you, because I, the love of Christ is, is available and, 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 and been given to you, I want you to understand that no trouble, no distress, no famine, no persecution, no spiritual conflict going on, Nothing can separate you from that love. And so when the devil jumps on your shoulder and says, where was God when that happened? You can say, right where he's always been. I may not understand it, but I know this. He loves me. He never has sent anything my way with the design for it to harm me. He never promised that he would keep us from the hurts of life. But what he did promise 
is that in his purpose and plan, all those things work together for good. It doesn't say everything's good. It says all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And so I would simply say to you this morning, there is no greater message that we can communicate. There is no stronger motive that we have for living for God, loving God, and serving God, and there's nothing that, that will manifest and keep us going and strengthened more than the love of Christ. I'll give you this one last passage, I'm done. But do you remember when the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 besought the Lord three times that God would remove a thorn in the flesh? I don't think that means he said three times, dear God, please take this thorn in the flesh away. I think that means three times he fasted and prayed and a period of time begged God because I believe that Paul was convinced if whatever that thorn in the flesh was, if God would take it away, he could serve God so much more effectively. And we've errantly been told that God will never put more on us than we can bear. You don't have a scripture verse for that. Don't use 1 Corinthians 10, 13. That's talking about sin, not troubles. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that he despaired of very life. He was in great distress. And in chapter 12, he's begging God to remove this thorn in the flesh and God's answer to the Apostle Paul was no. How do you know that? Because he said, my strength is made perfect in weakness. God's answer to Paul was, no, I'm not going to remove that thorn in the flesh because I know this, Paul. You'd have a tendency to rely upon you instead of me. And so I'm going to leave that thorn in the flesh as a constant reminder that it's about you. And, and it's a constant reminder, whatever that thorn was, that God loved him so much and he wanted to use him, that he was more usable with that thorn in the flesh than without it. And he said, therefore, I will glory in mine infirmities. What was the purpose? That Jesus Christ would be glorified. Can I tell you, God wants to get glory through your life too. And if you'll just keep in mind the love of Christ, it's our main message. It is our motive for all we do. And it's that thing that will maintain us through all the struggles and difficulties of life if we simply remember, Jesus loves me. This I know. Father, thank you for the morning. I pray you to help your people. I don't know the needs that are here, but you do.